The following is a presentation of the Six Arrows Radio Network. Episode 57, Ham Radio 360 Podcast. This time through, Linux in the Ham Shack. We've got coupon codes, special announcements, new sponsors, and more coming up. I'm Kevin, Kilo Whiskey Zero, Kilo Whiskey in St. Louis, Missouri. This is Ham Radio 360. MTCRadio.com presents Ham Radio 360, the podcast, with your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. Hey, hey, what's happening? It's Kale. Thank you so much for stopping by the Ham Radio 360 podcast. Appreciate you every time you, you tune in. I, I know that a lot of you guys just get this in your player. Some of you listen to it on your phone, some on your computer, some both. I mean, you're wherever you're at, we appreciate you stopping and taking the time to ignore the, uh, the the craziness going on around us, to enjoy some camaraderie here in the amateur radio hobby. My name is Kale. Call us Kilo 4 Charlie, Delta November. I've been licensed for about five years now. I live in South Carolina. And if you're from the north of the uh, the, the, the left coast, that, that probably just made plenty of sense to you because about every third word you're getting. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm just kidding. Really, I am just kidding. We've got a great audience made up from folks from all over the world. We get, we're getting stats now. We're seeing that we're getting listeners from France, Spain, Italy. We had a, a gentleman from Singapore on last time. Anyway, thank you so much, no matter where you are for listening. We're here to encourage you to help educate you, entertain you in everything regarding amateur radio, our favorite hobby, ham radio. So thank you again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't say that enough. You know, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have people like Whiskey 7, Delta, Bravo, Oscar contact me and ask, hey, can I be a sponsor of the show or the site? And I said, yes. So comms2go.com, C-O-M-M-S-T-O-G-O.com, comms2go.com, brand new site sponsor. You can find them on the right-hand sidebar right there where it says site sponsors. Check it out. I, I got a new box from the other day. John sent a box. It's really cool. It's got a 12-volt battery. It's got power distribution, power poles, battery charger, all in a box. It's really sweet. And be looking for a review for that coming up. I'll put something in the show notes, but there will be a review for that coming up pretty soon. And I think you guys are going to really like it, especially if you're looking for turnkey stuff. If you don't want to put the time in, they're putting the time in. Him and his family, amateur radio operators, bringing gear to the hobby. Love it, love it, love it. Comms to go.com, brand new site sponsor, and you can find it at hamradio360.com. And speaking of site sponsors, how about show sponsors? We've had a, a deal with Main Trading Company before we started, and that's a long story we've told it many times. They've been around for with us since day one plus, and they've been around in the industry for about seven, seven and a half years or so now. One of the biggest dealers in the country now, and that's really exciting for them. And what's really cool about, about having a partnership with somebody like mtcradio.com is that you get these random emails from, from the guy that runs the place. His name's Richard Lenore. He's crazy, man. He loves selling radio gear. Well, just the other day, I got an email. I mean, completely, totally out of the blue. Kale, hey, I just released these new these new coupon codes, and please tell everybody about them. Well, there's co- there's two codes, and we'll have them in the show notes. We're going to talk about them throughout the show here, but here's the here's the big one. If you're looking for a brand new ICOM IC, and I can't say the model number, but the one with the touchscreen that really works well right now, that's the most awesome, hottest thing happening. If you want one of those, Richard's offering seventy five dollars off until the 29th of this month with the coupon code HR360. All right, let me say that again. If you want the brand new ICOM IC 
really wish I could say the model number there with a touch screen that works really fantastic on HF. You need to go to the website, mtcradio.com, check out, put the code in HR360 and save $75 on your brand new HF rig from ICOM and mtcradio.com. So this has been a long time coming. It is finally happening for you now. Uh, some friends of ours, the Linux and the Ham Shack podcast, which is one of my most favorite podcasts to listen to about amateur radio because it's not that I understand everything that they say. Matter of fact, I understand very little past the cooking recipes from Cheryl. Uh, but what they talk about interests me, and it interests me to the point that I listen every time they release a new show. So I want to take this moment here to, to welcome Russ and Cheryl and Bill to the show. Guys and gal, welcome in. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank well, you for thank having, you having us. Me. Yeah. And us Thanks. and the rest of us, yes. Yeah. <laughs> all, all of the crew, yeah. the current crew. We've got everybody at one time on the show here, which is really cool. And it's quite a surprise. We've got uh, Russ K5TUX, uh, Bill, whose call I really dig, NE4RD. You can't look at the call and not see nerd. And then Cheryl, who shares the same call as my wife does, uh, they're yet to be licensed, if you're curious. Uh, Russ, tell us a little bit about uh, your getting into ham radio, how you got started. I got started in the early 90s, around 1991, just about the time that Linux was getting its start, so that's kind of nice. Um, they, they sort of happened independently of each other, um, but... My, uh, I just have always been interested in technical things. Um, I was an EE major in school to start with. Uh, kind of went a different route with that. But, uh, so anyway, uh, I've just always been interested in technical things. I, I actually was a DJ in college, so I, I liked radio in general. And ham radio or amateur radio seemed right up my alley. It had all the technical components. It, it had the ability to get on the air and of course i played around with cbs and stuff in the 70s and 80s so uh i had that background as well so it all just led up to uh loving ham radio and, and sort of the idea of it being able to talk all around the world and this is really before the you know cell phones became so prevalent in the world and everything and there mm -hmm. really weren't that many modes of communication that that could get you all over the planet so uh it just seemed like a lot of fun to me and that's how i dove into it and uh, got my ticket in 1992, and uh, as it happens, finally upgraded to Amateur Extra this year in 2016. Wow. Took a long time, but congratulations! I'm there. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Bill. So Bill, how did you uh, how did you get rolled into this? Well, I uh, got into Amateur Radio about the about the same time. I think 1994 was the year I uh, got my first ticket. And uh, I was interested uh, in radio communications through uh, a group I was part of as a kid called Civil Air Patrol. And we did a lot of communications, and I served as a communications officer for them. So I was, I was kind of interested in the whole communication thing, always setting up, uh, you know, uh, um, antennas and, and everything else for all these remote locations that we'd have to uh, <clears throat> set up at the airports to run sorties for downed aircraft and, and uh, other ELT you know, emergency locator transmitter uh, missions and stuff like that. So uh, I, I kind of got involved with that. I was doing bulletin boards back in the day, and a friend of mine who ran another bulletin board in town was a was a ham, and and he kind of got me hooked up with an Elmer, and so I went and got my license at the uh, Melbourne Ham Fest in Florida back in '94, and uh, haven't uh, haven't stopped messing with amateur radio since. Cool. 
it's been a great <laughs> hobby and uh yeah i just i just love it and uh yeah i'm a, I'm a true nerd so uh I'm, I'm into all parts of the hobby and and also computers and stuff like that it's amazing what you forget when other people start talking because i did that whole bbs thing too and i was actually in college on bitnet which was the uh, intercollege network system before the internet so <laughs> oh yeah well, I had yeah, a Commodore 128. and EchoNet. <laughs> <laughs> I had a 128. We had a 300 meg, uh, 300 BPS uh, modem that we never connected. I, my, I guess my dad never got it figured out. But yeah, we just played games. That was okay. Uh, that was a, <laughs> and I was in a CBs and car stereos. So that kind of, uh, that's how my love for 12 volts, I guess, came around. Uh, tell me a little bit about. Uh, now we, I'm going to say this. We've been podcasting here for almost two years. We're 50-some-odd, 50-plus episodes in. You guys have been podcasting for how long, Russ? How long has the LHS podcast been happening? Uh, First episode was released in October of 2008. 2008. That's quite a while. That is a while, yep. But it doesn't add up really over the the time since we only release uh, bi-weekly. Yeah. So, you know, we're up to 172 episodes uh, in eight years. It doesn't seem like a lot, but there's a lot there if you go back and listen to it. And we have had people call in or write in and tell us that they started listening like this year or last year and went back and listened to all of them. And I can't even imagine doing that myself. And I put the show out. <laughs> yeah. They binge listen. I think that's the, the, the proper term for podcasting. That was binge listening. And you know, the funny thing about that is you say it doesn't sound like a lot, but, but there's a lot of work that goes into this. Uh, now our podcast isn't live and is it, it isn't streamed and whatnot, but you guys, you guys do live audio and do you do video as well when you're streaming or not on your recording no we only do audio we did do video uh-huh. uh near the beginning of the show we did probably oh 12 or 14 episodes with video mm-hmm. it just turned out to be untenable as far as that and since we release an audio only podcast it, it kind of turned out to be pointless so right. yeah it's just audio and it's still a lot of work people have no idea really uh, the, the amount of work that it's not that it's overbearing, but there is a lot more work than than you three just sitting down and chatting about Linux. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this. Well, absolutely, because you have to get the content from someplace, so you've got to scour the Internet every couple of weeks, find things that sound interesting to talk about, and then if you find a technology that interests you, you don't want to just get on the program and say, oh, well, we found this technology here. You should go try it out. <laughs> we actually go in and, and try the stuff ourselves and and try and give it a personal perspective. So right. you actually have to spend time, you know, downloading, building, using all these applications and, and whatnot that you're going to talk about to try and make it interesting. Now, one of the questions that that I know people write off, and I get this question a lot when I talk or tell folks about your podcast. Uh, number one, and most folks listening know this answer, but just just a real brief answer: What is Linux? Well, the okay the 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 answer that you might get from a lot of people is that Linux is an operating system, okay, which would be entirely incorrect. Um, Linux is a kernel, and if you're just a, a lay a lay user, mm-hmm. I guess uh, to to pick a term, then you don't re- you're not really concerned about what a kernel is. But what a kernel is basically is all of the code that can boot your system up. It has all of the hardware drivers. Uh, it interacts with your computer's built-in operating system, the BIOS. And all it is is the code that gets your computer from a powered-off state 
into a state where it can run an operating system. That's what Linux is. It's just the kernel. Now, people will say that it's an operating system, but that's actually two pieces. That's the kernel, Linux, and GNU, which is the software. Uh, and there's also lots of software out there that's not GNU. But in the early days, GNU, which is actually a recursive acronym and stands for GNU's not Unix. It was uh, Richard Stallman's project to create software, which was an open version, and we'll talk about openness later, I'm quite sure, yeah. um, version of Unix, which is an AT&T Bell Labs technology, which is proprietary, commercial, and all that. So Stallman decided he wanted all of that software to be available to everyone, not just the people who could afford it. So he started writing the software. What he didn't have was the piece that actually booted the computer up. They tried to make one, and they're, in fact, as, as I understand, is still working on it. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, uh, Linus Torvalds said, well, they have all the software piece. We have this operating system, or we have this kernel that we're trying to put together with the operating system so we actually have a, a complete uh, computer operating system together. Uh, the GNU project wasn't getting their crap together. So he went out, uh, took the Minix kernel and the Unix kernel, rewrote it as his own kernel, uh, apparently named it Freaks at the beginning, uh, F-R-E-A-X, decided I guess he didn't like that, kind of settled on Linux, thought it was a little bit egotistical, and then wound up going with it anyway. So uh, he did the kernel piece, Stallman and his group did the software piece, you put them together, you get GNU Linux, there's your operating system. Nice. You know, that's something I've always wondered about is there, there's a history behind everything. And, of course, we all know the, the history of Windows and IBM and Apple. But uh, a lot of those technologies that we enjoy, a lot of technologies we enjoy today are Linux technologies that, uh, that folks have no idea that they're even based in that. Embedded systems and phones, if you're using an Android phone, you're using Linux. Some people know that. Many don't. Uh, but lots of embedded systems, set-top boxes, um, TVs, single-board computers, all kinds of things like this run Linux, uh, run the Linux kernel and uh, software on top of it. And largely, people are unaware of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm an Android guy. I'm one of the I'm, – I'm, I think there's 25 to one of me, and I'm okay with that. So. <laughs> that's that, that, that's kind of hard sometimes when you when you are used to something you don't realize that other people use another operating platform. So uh, sometimes I forget that not everybody else uses Android. Um, when you guys when you when you kind of got the uh, got the idea to put Linux and Ham Radio together, um, and I know that there's thousands upon thousands of things we can do with it in our Ham shacks and even outside the shacks. Um, I want to talk about your podcast for just a second. First, I want you to tell us where we can find it, because I said it wrong when I was on Dave Jackson's show. Uh, first, tell us that, and then tell us why you decided to start podcasting in 2008 when it was really kind of an obscure platform, and then why in the world did you choose Linux and Ham Radio, which are two pretty obscure platforms as well? Well, let's start with where you can find Linux in the Ham Shack. It's sure. at lhspodcast.info. Um, I used 
the info domain because back uh, a couple of years ago they were selling them super cheap. Now they're kind of the same as everybody else. But <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to save a few bucks here and go with the dot info. Right. Uh, so, so it's not a it's not a common net or an org. It's an info, but LHS podcast dot info. Now to talk about um, why podcasting in 2008 and why mixing Linux and ham radio. Unfortunately, the person to answer that question is not among us today because mm. I'm not actually the one who started the show. Okay. Um, okay. I don't know if you've uh, actually gone back and listened to the to the early ones, I but going back that far, no. Okay. Well, the original host of the show was Richard Bailey, KB5JBV, and he's the one who started the whole thing. He was doing his own podcast back then called uh, Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. And there's heard, quite a, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. There's uh, quite a few episodes of that out there. I think there are 50 of them. Um, and, he start, and he was doing that contempor- contemporaneously with Linux in the Hamshack when he started it in 2008. But he basically went out there and was looking for a co-host. And I was doing another podcast with another ham um, back then. Uh, it was his side project, and his name is Michael Dell. I can't remember what his call sign is, but he's uh, he's up in Michigan, and he did the Ham Radio Pod Class mm-hmm. uh, podcast. Or I don't know if he still does that or not, but anyway, well, I've seen it listed on the players, so it may just be there. Right. So he was doing that, and I was doing his side project called Straight Strange Today. So I was podcasting then. And so I was looking for a project of my own, and I saw that Richard was doing his podcast and wanted to start another one about Linux and ham radio. And I was like, well, this is right up my alley. So uh, I told him I was interested in doing it, gave him my uh, limited credentials, and he, you know, the rest is kind of history, I guess. So <laughs> That's a cool story. <laughs> uh, but again, I don't know why he chose to. I mean, he's he's into Linux mm-hmm. just like I was. He's into he's way more into ham radio than I, I ever thought of being. Um, and he wanted to put the two together, and he figured having two people on the show was better than one, uh, based on the fact that he did his own show with just himself. And uh, so that's how that goes. And he he did the first hundred episodes, um, and then since then we've had sort of a revolving crew. But we're going to keep the show going forever, as far as I can tell. <laughs> If we'll just start using AI if we have to. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We're going to continue here with Russ and Bill, and Cheryl's in there too. We're going to get to Cheryl in just a sec as we continue this episode of Ham Radio 360. Guys, stick around. Hi, Dan, KB6NU here. You know, there's always been a bit of a mystique about operating CW, and sometimes it's difficult for newcomers to literally crack the code. Well, that's what my book the CW Geek's Guide to Having Fun with Morse Code is all about. Written in my no-nonsense style, it's full of practical information that will help you have fun learning and using Morse Code, including how to choose a key, how to tune in CW signals, how to make contact, and then what to do once you've made contact. Let the CW Geek help you have more fun with Morse Code. Go to kb6nu.com slash cwgeek and get started today. I got an email just the other day from our friends at bridgecomsystems.com. They've got repeaters. 
and they're looking to make deals, right? They're selling repeaters along in a package deal, right? With mobile radios, with handheld radios, whatever you're looking for. If you're wanting to put up a repeater in your local area, if you're wanting to put up a 220 megahertz repeater in your local area, you need to make sure you check out bridgecomsystems.com. They have the repeaters. They have the controllers. They have the power supplies. They have all that you need to get started with your repeater system at bridgecomsystems.com. I don't know how well we're answering these questions, but we're, we're giving it a go. You, you sound good to me. We're okay. back. <laughs> we're back with Russ and Bill and Cheryl from the LHS podcast, the Linux in the Ham Shack podcast. And this is something that uh, we've been talking about again for quite a while. Glad to finally make it happen here. Uh, we got to meet Russ at uh, Dayton this year in a very sick state, but he was still awesome and a great, great to catch up with him. And, uh, Bill, we welcome you in again as well, and Cheryl's here with us. The whole crew from the Linux and the Ham Shack podcast. Um, guys, I I have so little experience with Linux. It's almost scary. And, and all of my really smart friends are Linux guys. And they're always like, well, Kel, you just need to learn Linux. And I'm like, yeah, and I need to learn <laughs> Spanish and Chinese. And, you know, I'm, uh, yeah. So... For somebody who is very limited time ex- experience into Linux, my, well, my experience with Linux is this. I, I bought a netbook that I loved. absolutely just adored this little netbook. had Linux Mint 13 on it, I think. And, um, man, it was awesome to use. It was so lightweight. The, the program, you could just tell it wasn't bloated, and it worked so well until I just burnt the hard drive to pieces trying to use it for a podcast. Um, so if, if, I'm, if I'm in the ham radio, I'm a diehard Windows user or I'm a Mac user. Tell me why Linux would benefit me in the ham shack. Anybody else want to answer this or am I? <laughs> well, <laughs> well be, I can, I can uh, take it Bill, a little Bill, bit. Why would you take a bite? Let's get Bill's view and then maybe I'll think of something. Okay. <laughs> what was that? I said it's you're up, Bill. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Why, why would I want to use Linux in the ham shack in general? Yeah. Uh, well, there's a wealth of programs out there uh, that people have been developing over the years and, and improving. And just about every application that's out there today for amateur radio in some form or other is available on Linux. And as you just said, you know, your Linux Mint machine on a netbook ran blazingly fast. And that's really the experience that most users have with Linux in general is that they're able to uh, take some of this older hardware and, and like hams, we like, uh, you know, being a little budgeted in our ham shacks and we don't always have that latest, you know, I seven Broadwell chipset and everything else sitting in our ham shack. We have probably a, you know, two or three, four or five, 10 year old computer yeah. <laughs> in the ham shack. And, you know, we'd like to get a little bit of life out of it. And uh, Linux is a great solution for that. And there are, you know, which we'll get into, there's lots of distributions out there that make it super easy for even the new user to uh, to use uh, Linux in the ham shack. But uh, applications you'll you'll be able to use in in, uh, in your ham shack will be just the same. You know, you have WSJTX if you're into those JT modes. There's a, a numerous amount of logging applications that interface directly with Logbook of the World, QRZ, uh, HamQTH, and just about every other service known to man. Um, FL Digi. A lot of people use all the random digital modes. Uh, FL Digi is a uh, cross-platform, and uh, you, you can use it in Windows. You can use it in Linux, and it works exactly the same. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a great it's a great way to uh, allow older hardware and new hardware 
run very fast and uh, do the job that uh, an amateur radio uh, operator needs in the ham shack. Well, here's a question I've got for you. I heard a guy heard a guy one time uh, not too long ago when I think it was Windows 10 was being initially announced, and this guy was just screaming about all the back doors and all the the ways to get in and to see what you were doing and. People could could hack your system so easy through Windows 10, and and I don't know if there's any truth. I'm not making that assertion. I'm saying what I've heard. Um, but he was stating how stable and how safe an environment that Linux can provide any user. And I would imagine that you know, as we're logging and whatnot, we want to keep up with those things. Uh, is it a much more stable and safe environment on a computer for Linux? I would say comparably, it's very similar. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think Windows 10 got a bad rap. <laughs> okay. With uh, it, it wasn't necessarily uh, the ability to break into the system. It was just the ability. Uh, you know, it was just the telemetry issues of uh, Microsoft sending uh, heartbeats back to uh, you know the, the mothership there to uh, gather data on uh, users and usage of the system so they could improve it. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember. I, I know we're not really talking about Windows 10, but we have to remember that Windows 10 is kind of like a release that's ongoing. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's constantly being improved upon, and you know, much like Linux, uh, you know, it's constantly being improved upon. There's always going to be uh, you know bugs that are found throughout its life cycle, and it's uh, it's actually good to see that Windows 10 is finally catching up to the way Linux and uh, a lot of these other uh, distributions handle getting these updates pushed out to uh, the computers in a very rapidly uh, uh, maintained environment, and this prevents a lot of those uh, you know uh, being exposed to uh, um, exploits and 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 various uh, you know hackable attempts and stuff like that on your home computer. So uh, it's it's really like uh, Windows 10 took a took a cue from the the rest of the Linux environment. Don't you agree, Russ? I I do, but the there's a key difference between operating systems like Windows and Linux, and that that's the idea of the openness of it, the the free the libre part of the freedom, um, because. Even though Windows 10 has has chosen, you know, Microsoft has chosen to be a little more open about how they're dealing with Windows 10 and how they're keeping the security updates out there and everything, you're still beholden to the corporate culture of Microsoft to kind of do the right thing um, because you can't, because they're a black box organization, you can't see inside unless you happen to be inside. Very few of us actually are. Uh, the, the openness of the Linux platform, and I don't know how far down this rabbit hole of uh, open software we want to go, but I'm, I'm sure that's part of what we're talking about here. But the idea then is that because the code is available to anyone, um, there are many eyes on the code, and those people are all keeping track of what's being put into the code. And so being able to sneak in a backdoor or the ability for the mothership to track telemetry data and stuff like that is very hard to do because there are always people looking at the code. And when someone tries to slip that back door in, uh, people who are in the know who, whether by design or by accident, are vetting code can look at it and say, oh, no, this person is trying to slip something nefarious into the code. We need to do something about that, change Mm -hmm. it. And uh, that makes it safer for everyone who's using it even those who aren't familiar with the software or would have no idea uh, how to mitigate uh, an attack or a backdoor or anything like that. Uh, so it, it helps everyone uh, that the code is available. Well, that, that's, a good que- that's, a, that's a good point to lead me to my next question. 
is Linux is all about openness. It's all about the the open source. And and you talk about this a lot on your show. Um, you talked about it when we had you on at Dayton about the openness. You guys even play open source music on your show, which is really cool. Um, one of the questions I have is uh, for someone who may not really understand the whole the whole open source. How can you give me a pretty elementary explanation on that? Well, the, the easiest way to explain it, and I hope this is easy, is that all software is code. It's a bunch of lines of written code that are then compiled to make them run faster. Now, without going into a whole you know semester of computer science, <laughs> uh, just to, to take code that humans can understand and convert it into binary format that computers can understand is the step that makes it fast enough uh, to run on the hardware. So all the code gets compiled so that it will operate more quickly. The difference is, in Microsoft's case, for example, there are only a few people who are in Microsoft's domain who write the code and who ever see it before it gets compiled into a format that people can't understand, Mm -hmm. therefore they can't see into, in order to operate the computer. And that's what's released as Microsoft Windows, for example. So that's a piece of software that comes on a disk. But if you actually wanted to see what code generated that bytecode, you can't because they don't release it. Now, Linux and other operating systems are the opposite of that. They give you the binary form that runs on your computer, but they also give you the code, the human-readable code, that generated the bytecode. So you can see... And understand, you can go look for yourself to see what code is actually running on your computer or your set-top box or your phone or in an increasingly uh, prominent part of the world, your bionic implant. Um, (laughs) This is like a real thing because people are, you know, genuinely concerned about the fact that their pacemaker needs to be running open source code because you don't want to get a virus and have it stop your heart or something like that. And this is, this is not even science fiction. This is happening today. Wow. Um, that's, that's a real use case or a real, uh, I think, powerful reason that openness uh, needs to be promulgated. Right. And, and that's one of the things that, uh, that draws a lot of people, especially in the amateur radio hobby, to the uh the, that end of the spectrum uh, linux being there is that they can go in and, and 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 read and learn the code they can learn how to code themselves they can build out programs and we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes to operate uh in the in their shack or on their radios um but there's there's a lot of things a lot of questions uh that i have and and we could probably do four or five shows just on this one topic but the distros or the and i'm assuming that's a shortened term of distributions uh, and those would be like uh, in Kel's mind here, uh, Linux would Linux Mint would be akin to XP, and Linux whatever would be akin to say ninety five or ninety eight. Is that a, is that a good simple way to look at how we understand from out here outside of the Linux sphere those things inside Linux? Um, not. Not, not exactly, but you go yeah. <laughs> exactly what you want. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, distribution is is really uh, you know these are the companies or the groups of people that are using the Linux kernel to generate a, uh, a sort of a branded uh, OS package. So you know things like Linux Mint. I mean, that that is a is a complete suite with a with a themed environment. The windows look uh, you know very um, specific to their particular branding. You have uh, companies like uh, Canical that do uh, Ubuntu. A lot of people use Ubuntu. It's a it's a pretty common uh, distribution. Um, and there's there's a there's a multitude of these smaller micro distributions that uh, have a very like niche. Niche market. Mm-hmm. Um, Ubuntu's like uh, has been uh, fragmented into multiple. <laughs> I don't know. If fragmentation is a is a bad word, but <laughs> into multiple distributions uh, based upon what users like. You know, um, they have different windowing environments, and and that that's kind of uh, uh, obscure. Uh, you know, the most of them look like Windows. Uh, you know, little box frames with uh, you know an X to kill the window and a yeah. maximize and a minimize and stuff like that. But they'll have a different uh, system underneath the hood there that actually drives and, and draws those windows on the screen, and they'll have a different performance characteristics and stuff like that. But every distribution will have its own little nuance about uh, which set of packages they deploy along with the Linux kernel. And uh, so, I mean, you end up with different versions of those distributions. And as you go backwards in time, you know, you're basically going backwards in revisions of those packages and the Linux kernel in time. So, like, Linux, Linux Mint 14 is probably, what, a three-something uh, a kernel where today we're using 4.4 inside of, uh, I believe, 18's out already. Okay, okay. What, what did you have to add to Russ? Well, keeping in mind there that the kernel is an entirely separate piece. So if you wanted to run, for example, Linux Mint 12 with the 4.4 kernel, you can do that. Um, because all, you know, going back to what I said originally, all the Linux kernel is doing is setting up your hardware and actually booting the computer up. And what software you choose to run beyond the kernel is up to you. Um, it just so happens that the distributions, the companies that put out the distributions package usually the software that's GNU or whatever it is they want to package in their system with, generally speaking, whatever the latest kernel is. Now, depending on the style of distribution you're using, that might be a stable kernel or it might be a development kernel. So it might be more advanced than another distribution or something like that. So I, I guess when you're looking at like XP versus 95 versus Windows 7, for example, those would all be Linux Mint, something like that. So, so a distribution is more like a corporation okay. than a version of software. I, got, I just learned something. <laughs> that's what we're here for. I, that was one of the. That's one of the things that always confuses me, because you hear Debian, you hear Ubuntu. I can't even say it. It won't come out right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, you want to say it? Ubuntu. Yeah, say, Ubuntu. Is that right? <laughs> Ubuntu. Yeah, Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Yeah, well, it sounds like we're learning some uh, some deep tribal language here. It, it is Android actually 360. Ubuntu is an African word, which means uh, community. Oh. So um, that that's where that... And the one the thing that throws people off is that in most languages, and I actually studied language too, so here we go... Um, most languages other than English 
vowel sounds only have one sound. Uh-huh. Whereas in English, vowel sounds can have lots of different sounds. Right. Um, but in the particular language that generated the word Ubuntu, um, the U is always sounds the same. So it's Ubuntu. Now, lots of people say Ubuntu because that's an, uh, that's an English way to... Yeah, an Americanization or whatever. Because we changed the way the, the U sounds. Yeah. But the, the real word is Ubuntu. And it, a lot of people find that, who aren't apparently Native African, hard to say. So, <laughs> Well, here you go. <laughs> Continuing to learn here on Ham Radio 360. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, um, I've got a question for you. If, if I have a, an, an old Windows machine here, I said I've got an XP box. Well, I wouldn't do it to an XP box. I've got a, yeah, I would. So I've got an old XP box, and I want to use it to run FL, FL Digi in the shack, and it's too slow. And, and, and Bill's already told us that this that this uh, Linux software will run real fast, real light. How hard is it to convert from uh, this Windows software or whatever's on there over to a Linux distribution? Okay, well, I, I want to discourage the use of the word convert. Okay. <laughs> to start with. Um, Transform? Um, no, because there's no, there, there's, no, there's no blend between Windows and Linux. That, okay. that sort of thing doesn't happen. You can, you can either overwrite okay. or you can coexist. Let's talk about overwriting because I understand coexisting. Okay. I'm married. Well, sorry that's okay uh overwriting is easy overwriting is the same way as writing okay uh and you do it the same way you would windows the most prominent way that people would overwrite something with windows would be to take the disc of it the cd or dvd Mm -hmm. throw it in their machine uh boot it up walk through the install process which is you know fairly hand-holding when it comes to windows and as it happens, also very hand-holding when it comes to Linux. And I would think that you could stick the average lay user in front of a laptop with a bootable Linux distribution or Windows CD, and they would have no trouble uh, making a bootable working laptop uh, out of that. Cool. Now, so, I, I, well, I see, a, you know, I see people, I've got a live DVD, they'll say, or yeah. I've got a, a thumb drive or whatever they're supposed to be called nowadays. Um, I've got one of those, and I want to put it. I want to make this machine full time Linux. Is that what you're talking about here? You're talking about just completely overriding what was there. Yes, that's the the general idea. Okay. Now, with a live distribution, that's something you brought up just a second ago. Mm-hmm. A live distribution allows you to to run without install. It's basically the concept of live. Okay, it's run run sans install. So, if you have a bootable thumb drive or USB drive, or mm-hmm. flash drive, or whatever it is you want to call it, yeah. uh, that has a live Linux distribution on it. There's a specific kind of Linux distribution. Um, it came around, I believe it started with Nopix. Uh, I think that was the first one. Yep, yep. Nopix and DSL were your early live distros. Right. Um, and the reason those came about is because people wanted to be able to boot a machine or to use a machine that was self-contained without having to overwrite their internal hard drive. And in a lot of cases, Nopix is used as a rescue disk. So if you have a machine that won't boot for some reason, the live distro is handy because it doesn't require any hard disk in the system to be accessible. 
Okay. You can run it straight off whatever media you have handy, whether it be an optical drive or a thumb drive or, or whatnot. So this technology is now being used uh, to demonstrate to people the power of Linux, for example, because you can run it on a computer that has Windows on it without destroying it. Yeah. And um, in, in, in the case of a thumb drive, uh, a USB media tends to be very fast. So you can run it in an almost um, installed speed, at almost installed speed, wow. uh, from removable media, which is very nice. And it, uh, it gets people interested. Uh, and then they also contain an installer so that if you have access to the uh, internal storage, you can then uh, overwrite and have a bootable machine uh, running GNU Linux as opposed to your Windows. So that's really a good place to start is if you can get something like that to kind of get your feet wet. And if you like it, you just press the install button and, and goodbye, Mr. Gates. That's Absolutely. <laughs> and, and a nice part about the live CD as well is, is especially on some of these newer laptops and uh, newer computers, you know, they have some pretty new hardware that comes out every year because, you know, these hardware manufacturers got to continue their R&D and make new products. Yeah. It gives you the ability to test all your hardware to make sure that you're not going to have any problems during install. You know, is my Wi-Fi card going to work? Is this going to work? Is that going to work? And, you know, this is very, it's, it's the same with even Windows these days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you throw a Windows disk in and half the stuff doesn't work, especially on laptops because they put so much obscure hardware in these things. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to be able to, to test a fresh live copy of something to see if you're going to run into any kind of random oddness instead of just, you know, blindly installing it and then all of a sudden, wow, I can't get on the internet because my Wi-Fi card doesn't work or something like that. And, uh, you know, we've always had to deal with this in, uh, you know, enterprise window shops. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's why, uh, that's why Dell makes specific disks for these computers because uh, <laughs> yeah. otherwise you wouldn't be able to boot it with the RAID controller <laughs> or anything else. It's just pretty much, uh, you know, a doorstop. So it, where, where does somebody find a live disk or a live USB drive for for getting started with linux well pretty much any distribution will have a live install disk and i think almost all install disks are live disks these days except for uh, a few distributions that are more uh specific like uh let's say what uh what would you say russ like arch or some of these more uh geeky uh renditions yeah what we would call uh collegiate or advanced distributions <laughs> uh like arch linux or gentoo yeah they don't they don't generally have live distros or live bootable installers however for for all of those distributions there is somebody out there who has created a live version of those to make it easier and more accessible to those people who don't want to get down and dirty with something like arch um that they'll release their own distribution that's based on arch which has a nice easy to use installer and is live bootable and that kind of thing so uh, for you know, for all those distributions out there, there's something for everybody. DistroWatch, uh, I believe it's dot com, uh, keeps a list, a running list of like all of the distributions that get released as they get released. Plus, they have like a top ten list or a top twenty five list or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, and they and they also you can search by keyword and stuff like that. So if you're looking for a a noob friendly distribution or something like that, or uh, have specific requirements for your distribution, you can use a resource like DistroWatch. And, of course, you can use uh, the ultimate resource, Google, uh, <laughs> to, to find the distribution that's right for you. Which runs on Linux, too, by the way. Well, it runs on everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll I got I to gotta really I gotta take a break, but I got a, 
what I think is a good question if I don't forget it over the break. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Russ and Bill and Cheryl from the Linux in the Ham Shack podcast with Kale here on Ham Radio 360, back in a few. You look around my shack, you look at my vehicles, you're going to find one thing in common. All right, they're American-made vehicles because that's just what I buy. And there's Kenwood radios in almost all of them. You look in the shack surrounded by Kenwood radios. There's a reason for that. There's a reason. I love their Kenwood gear, and I buy it from one place only, mtcradio.com. Right now until the 29th of this month, just a few days, guys. I mean, you listen to this too late, you're going to miss the deal. $10 off any order. You place an order at mtcradio.com. Enter the coupon code HAMRADIO360, HAMRADIO360. You're going to save $10 off the order. Kenwood Gear on sale now. mtcradio.com and save an additional $10 with the code HAMRADIO360. That's mtcradio.com. Back again with the crew from Linux in the Ham Shack podcast. Uh, there's a lot to be done with Linux and amateur radio. And if you guys are a listener, I'm not. If you're a listener to the Linux in the Ham Shack podcast, which you should be, it's one of the most interesting amateur radio podcasts out there. It's really entertaining too, guys. Thank you very much for your great show. Uh, you, you hear them talk about Debian Pure Blend, and that's the question I had. Tell us a little bit about uh, the Debian Pure Blend for Amateur Radio and Linux. Well, that's great that you phrased it that way because the Pure Blend is a concept within Debian that allows the maintainers of certain groups of packages for Debian. We haven't really talked about package management, but uh, th- there are groups of people within the Debian organization that maintain software that's released with the Debian GNU Linux distribution. And they've had this crazy idea not very long ago that these groups should put out distributions that are dedicated to certain functionality, like uh, scientific uh, applications or pharmaceutical applications or uh, language applications or, or whatever, whatever it happens to be. One of these groups is the ham radio group. There's a, a group of maintainers within Debian that maintain all of the ham radio specific packages that are released under the Debian GNU Linux distribution. And what they did was, since Debian, just as a pure distribution, not as a pure distribution, as a base distribution, tries to cover some basics, like it has an office suite, and it has you know text editors, web browsers, uh, communications programs, email software, things, things that the average user might use when they install it. That's what it comes with by default. Well, the Ham Radio Pure Blend is that very same thing, except it also includes all of the software that's maintained by the Debian Ham Radio maintainers. So it's that same core set of applications, including your word processor, your web browser, your email client, so on, also happens to contain a whole mess of ham radio-specific applications, including things like FLDG for your digital modes, your loggers, your DX clients, your APRS clients, your DSTAR clients, your FreeDV client, etc., etc., etc. So all of that stuff comes pre-packaged. And when you download the distribution and you create your thumb drive out of it to boot it up in you know, your laptop or your desktop PC or whatever, 
all of that software is pre-installed and ready to run. And that's the idea behind the Pure Blend. And that, that's a good place for us to start as new guys coming into Linux with amateur radio aspirations, putting them together. The Pure Blend would probably be the easiest place to go. I think it's one of the easiest. It's the one we talk about the most. Ever since it came out, I've been pushing it. And I've been using Linux since Linux has basically existed. I've been using it since the, the early 90s. And my Hamshack PC, the one that's sitting right here over my right shoulder, runs the Debian Ham Radio Pure Blend. Because to me, it's the perfect place to start for that purpose. Fantastic. There's nothing like finding a, a one-stop shop. Especially there, there when you're been, trying to figure it out. Right. There have been other efforts at creating ham radio-specific distributions. But usually what they are is another distribution that is then packaged with usually software, ham radio-specific software that is used by and popular with the person who creates the distribution rather than all of the available software. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so there's a few of those out there. They tend to be a little bit buggy and have specific issues. Uh, so we try not to recommend them necessarily because they aren't as easy as they could be. But since the Pure Blend is a standard Linux distribution and a very popular one, by the way, because a lot of the other distributions that we've talked about, like Linux Mint uh, and Ubuntu, are all based on Debian. So under the hood, they're all the same. Uh, and then this one just happens to have ham radio software with it. So it's a, kind of a win-win. It's pretty awesome. If we've got a, a Raspberry Pi sitting around... That'd be a good place to uh, to plug that in, maybe. There is, okay. Let's see. Let's uh, let's see. Let's talk a little about the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, let's talk about the Raspberry Pi for, because it is a Linux esque platform. Well, the Raspberry Pi is simply a computer, right. just like any other computer. Uh, it's not Linux specific. However, there are Linuxes that are specifically created to run on the Raspberry Pi. There there are a couple of specific issues about the Raspberry Pi, though. The first being that the Raspberry Pi has no onboard storage. So in order to run something, you have to run it off of Flash um, because that's the only way you can boot a Raspberry Pi. So you have to have a live distribution hmm. in, in order to boot up a Raspberry Pi. Um, so this lends itself perfectly to Linux because um, that's, that's sort of how Linux has gone. So... Raspbian is a Debian version of, well, it's a version of Debian for the Raspberry Pi. Um, and it's interesting to note that the Raspberry Pi has another specific issue. It's not a desktop PC. Um, it uses an entirely different chip architecture. It's, it's not an i386. Your average desktop PC has an Intel chipset. Well, the Raspberry Pi doesn't. It uses the ARM chipset. So you have to have a distribution that is recompiled for ARM. Your standard version of Debian that runs on your desktop will not run on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, this was done because the ARM chipset has much lower power consumption uh, and can be very powerful in small embedded systems like the Raspberry Pi and, and others that use it. But you must use a distribution that is compiled for ARM. Um, Debian happens to be one of them. Debian is probably compiled for more architectures than any other Linux distribution. Windows, for example, except for one new version of Windows 10, 
is not compiled for any architecture other than Intel. Hmm. So, so just, just by virtue of that, you can't run Windows on a Raspberry Pi, except for, like I said, this brand new version of um, uh, embedded Windows 10. Right. Uh, which I've never tried, and I actually don't know anyone who's tried, but yeah. <laughs> I think everybody was excited about that for about 30 minutes when it was announced, and then it kind of went away. Well, until they realized it was just generally just command line only. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't run Outlook on it. What do you mean? Yeah, I don't even know where I'm, where's the Windows, man. Right. See, yeah. well, the, the nice part about all this ham radio uh, uh, blend, the pure blend packaging, is that it, it is already compiled for ARM as well. So you can get all these meta packages into your Raspbian, I would assume, wouldn't you think? Yep, Press? absolutely. Yeah. I didn't really go into the, the pure blend itself because it's being released in two different ways. Um, Debian, of course, is a rolling release, and it has multiple different versions that are extant at any one time. Uh, right now, the stable release is called Debian Jesse. And the next release, which is what they call a testing release, is Debian Stretch. Now, what they're doing is they're taking Jesse. I'm talking about the ham radio people right now. They're taking Jesse, and they're releasing it with the ham radio software pre-installed. But what they're then doing is creating meta packages. I think there are 12 of them, maybe 14, um, that are going to be released just as packages in the next version of Debian. So there won't be a pure blend after this necessarily, or you won't have to use it, because all you'll have to do is install Debian and then install the 14 meta packages, and you'll have the very same thing. So... That will be available on any architecture available to Debian with the next release, whether it be ARM or RISC or uh, PPC or Intel or whatever. Right. These are for Debian Stretch, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Sorry about that. I almost knocked the microphone off the boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot in the barn, guys. The sweat just got in the eyebrows there and dripped right down in the eyes. Yeah, it's it's summertime, and um, that that's an interesting point. So, with and this is not a Raspberry Pi show, but it's uh, when we get a Pi and we're running software on a Pi, we're running Linux. When we have our Droid phone, we're running Linux. When we're can't does does the Amazon Fire run on Linux? Just curious. I don't know why that just came out. I'm just curious. Do you know? That's an Android, uh, uh, yeah, kind of device as well. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was. Yeah. I wasn't sure. So. Yeah, I believe there's ways you can hack the uh, <laughs> the Google Play Store directly on it, but uh, yeah, for the most part, the Android Fire is just a like, or the 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 Amazon Fire is just like a, a what we would call a fork, a fork of the uh, um, the Android platform. Okay. Just a personal question because I I had no idea. No idea. Just like Android itself is a fork of Linux, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's uh, let's bring Cheryl in because uh, she's been so patient with us guys talking about this stuff, <laughs> and she's always she's she has to be one of the most patient women on the planet to uh, to do this show with you guys sometimes um, because you, you you sometimes give her a hard time, which really turns into some great comedic value, by the way. <laughs> Because she can take it. This lady can take it. She's not afraid of these men. But Cheryl, uh, one of my favorite parts of the Linux and the Hamshack podcast is your recipe corner. And, and I've, I would love for you to uh, share a recipe with us here on the show. Well, actually, the recipe that I have decided to share with everybody is something that I am fixing for our 4th of July festivities 
at our house tomorrow. And I know this, of course, won't come out on the 4th. But it's a super great, really easy summertime dessert. And it's for a icebox cake, um, which requires some strawberries, some Cool Whip, some graham crackers. Um, and I'm going to add some blueberries to ours to make it more patriotic. Um, but what you do is you put a layer of a light layer of Cool Whip in the bottom of a nine by thirteen pan. Put a layer of graham crackers on top of it. Um, spread some more Cool Whip on top of that, thicker this time, with your fruit, and any fruit will work. Um, most recipes call for fresh strawberries. I'm actually using frozen. And there's all kinds of frozen strawberries. And, you know, you want just the strawberries, not the strawberries in a, a sugared syrup. Just just regular fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, spread a, you know, spread a thicker layer of Cool Whip, a thicker layer or, you know, a layer of strawberries, more graham crackers. Um, and just layer this. Um, and then on the top, of course, you're going to want to do something pretty with the strawberries or whatever. Um, and it needs to, it's best refrigerated overnight. Um, but you know, at least four or six hours. So the graham crackers have time to soften up and actually turn into a cake. So, so I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, the, I'll, I'll send you the recipe, but, um, the recipe calls for three pounds of strawberries, a box of graham crackers, uh, like a 14 ounce box of graham crackers, and about 24 ounces of Cool Whip. Wow. Some sort of frozen, yeah. And, and, the, just, and the best part of Cool Whip is it's it's almost zero fat. It's almost right. zero sugar. And this this just sounds delicious. That's yes. awesome. Yes, it's very good. <laughs> and if you get any you go to, you just eat it later. You know, I mean, it's just, right. yeah. you just oh, take no. it with you. The longer, the longer it, it has time to, you know, rest, mm-hmm. the better it is. So... Um, I'm sure if there's any leftover after our party tomorrow, although we're expecting 35 to 40 people at this point, um, if there's any leftover, I'll probably be eating some for midnight snack tomorrow night. So. <laughs> Russ is saying make two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he actually, I think he likes it too. Yeah. Yes. I do like it. When yeah. you this anything that's kind of like a strawberry shortcake, you know, when you have a nice uh, cracker element or crumb element with fruit and whipped topping, I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it takes about five minutes to make it, and Bill. there's no oven involved. Right. Yeah, that's the best part. It's July, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bill, when you go off the air with these folks, and and Cheryl does a recipe, do you go to the kitchen and, and try to cook up what she just shared with you guys? I mean, is that is oh, that part of your cooking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it makes me hungry. We normally record this in the evening time, and it's like, oh, it's time to hit the refrigerator on the way upstairs. <laughs> yeah, the chicken recipe is always good. There's the, there's like yeah. a lasagna recipe that sounded great. So if you guys are wondering what I'm talking about, if you listen to Linux and the Hamjack podcast, Cheryl has the recipe corner. She does a recipe every show, and uh, it's generally something that Russ likes. And uh, <laughs> So Russ gets to pick the music. She gets to pick the food, and Bill just eats crackers by himself <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> out on the plains by himself poor bill yes poor bill well bill's the new guy he's still he's still learning the ropes and and going through the hazing process so you know he, he gets the short end of most of the sticks well it's working really good you know you guys you guys have, have a the the rapport was immediately great 
uh, just in my opinion, I thought, I was like, wow, this is a new voice. And, and I think when it happened was when I was on the plane to Dayton, I, uh, I, I found the transition episode. That's what I was listening to. And I was like, hey, I recognize that call from Twitter. So that was really cool. <laughs> I had no idea that anything you know was coming, but it was it was cool how it turned out. Um, you guys do biweekly shows, and uh, it's lhspodcast.info. Is that right? That's, that's correct. Okay. Yep. And uh, of course, Cheryl has a recipe corner. They go through the news of Linux, um, and we haven't even really really touched to, to the to the tiny baby toe dipping in the water here of Linux itself. But it does, the Linux platform, it does have quite a bit of use here in the amateur radio community. Um, there seems to be just loads and loads of people using it. Uh, and one of the things that gets me when I listen to you guys talk on, on your show, you're like, oh, yeah, I wrote this, whatever you call it, and it makes something over here work. And I'm like, wow, how cool is that to be able to sit down and, and write your own software to uh, to to achieve a a result in your ham shack. I mean, do you guys do that a lot or is it just something you, you brag about on the show and you, you just kind of do it maybe once every month or so? Well, for me personally, I do it a lot, but it's also part of my job, my daily job. So I, okay. I spend a lot of time coding, uh, for work and then it just kind of spills over into my personal time. And usually, um, because I've been doing it for so long, it's easy for me when I'm when I'm looking at a piece of software that I've just downloaded and it doesn't work exactly the way I want to, since I'm already ensconced in the open source world, I can browse through the content, find the piece that doesn't work or doesn't do the thing I want it to do, and then I can just go ahead and fix it rather than wait for some developer at Microsoft to do it for me. So that's always a nice thing, and uh, it's it's not really braggable. You find you find that over time, the more the more you work with it, the the less ego there is in in providing packages or contributing code to open source projects. I mean, uh, it's just part of the community. It's it's if you're a user, it's what you do. And I, and I think the part, the most important part there is the contributing part because you know as Russ or I or anybody you know modifies the code and looks for improvements or additional features, you know there there are other users out there that want those features as well, mm-hmm. and a lot of projects allow you the opportunity to push those changes back in to the application and then allow it to be redistributed back to users. So this is a great way, and this is how open source works. You know, you know everybody has their their own point of view on what should be in the app application and how it should go forward you have a project maintainer that you know kind of steers the ship and makes sure nothing gets in there that doesn't belong and uh you know we all we all work out you know all make out the better because of uh because of the open source contributions as we continue on uh with our quest here on this podcast to continue learning about everything there is to know about ham radio uh the question arises sometimes daily usually at least weekly what can we do to save amateur radio? And how in the world can we bring the youth that are coming behind us into this hobby? Is coding, uh, we, we've talked about the, the maker end of things just a few weeks ago. Is coding one way that we can bring some youth, some vitality into the hobby? Always. 
coding is a is a great uh, a, a great tool to uh, allow them to understand that it's not just not just to be a user, but to be a creator in the environment that they enjoy. You know, so many of these kids are on tablets and and all these devices that have radios in them, and you know, virtually they're they're doing radio every day. They just don't realize it. Mm. And uh, the more we can make them understand and and learn how to access that stuff uh, and be a creator and a maker. Uh, you know, I think we're going to get get far ahead in that uh, that effort. Well, I think it, the ham radio community, yeah, the ham radio community, the maker community, and the open source community are all basically the same idea. They all have the same tenets. They're they're all about uh, inclusiveness and openness and sharing and contributing and and creating. They they all have uh, they're all in the same mindset, and so it it's really not a a far push for someone who's interested in one to get other folks interested in any or all of them what with someone who's interested in linux who's interested in learning to uh to be able to write code contribute to the code um i I know that here in my hometown there there are groups that get together and have like meetups or whatnot is that a good way to kind of for a new guy who who maybe let's 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 just say for for instance uh my local radio club this is not their cup of tea they're not interested in this at all so is something like that a good way for me to involve myself and have, uh, for lack of a better term, but to have one that's familiar to us all, Elmery, Elmering into the uh, into the Linux sphere? I mean, is, is that a good way to kind of get myself introduced to the hobby? If you can find the groups, it certainly is. I know where we are, the groups are few and far between. But if, you, if you're in an area where those groups exist or you have uh, enough personal fortitude where you can go out and and pull a group together something like that to get people together and talk about these things special interest groups or uh, groups or um linux user groups or hacker spaces maker spaces uh, any of these things mm-hmm. if, if you're in a place where you can join one of these or or put one together um yeah that's a fantastic way to learn to, to share and to communicate and you never know who there may be interested in the amateur radio hobby as well. And you just kind of build from there, right? Absolutely. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Uh, guys and lady, I really appreciate you being on with me. I know that uh, we, we were kind of like playing ping pong all over the, all over the course here, but it's <laughs> Linux, like amateur radio, is just a huge, vast plethora of different avenues and different things to follow. But I, I've learned some things. And... I think to to that point, I would like to have you guys come back with me and um, get some get some more listener feedback and and get some more of my questions out on paper. And, and if you would, uh, we'd love to have you back again. Well, That'd be great. Be back. And um, we've I know when when Richard and I first started the show, he thought that we wouldn't be able to do more than fifty episodes just based on content. <laughs> Well, we're 172 in. We've done a bunch of side products, and I honestly can't see any end to uh, the information because there's always, every time I turn around and Google, you know, Linux or ham radio, there's there's something new to talk about, or something old has become new again, or something like that. So I don't I don't think there's any end to the things we can talk about. Well, I've appreciated you both, and Cheryl, thank you so much as well for coming in. It's been great to have you all on. And uh, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Tell us one more time, Russ, where we can find you so I don't get it wrong. 
and uh, we want to make sure my listeners, our listeners here on Ham Radio 360 are coming over and giving your show a listen. It's a lot of fun, guys. Totally, totally fun and informative. Well, uh, thank you, and uh, we hope everybody comes by and stops by for a listen. We also have a chat room and a live broadcast when we do record. Uh, you can find information about all of that at lhspodcast.info, and we do record live um, bi-weekly at 8 o'clock Central Time on Mondays. Uh, there's a show calendar on the website to help you locate when we're going to be live and all that, and, and we have a chat room on Freenode if you're into IRC and all that, so we'd love to have you for the live program or just uh, pick up the podcast in your favorite podcatcher. Absolutely. And what what we'll do is we'll put all your Twitter handles and uh, all the links, of course, in the show notes because we want folks to follow you uh, around because there's there's quite some entertaining uh, some posts. Uh, B- Bill's very busy on Twitter. He's a very busy <laughs> Twitter guy. But but enjoy yeah. those. I have, like, fallen off of Twitter. Obviously, I need to get back on there. Come right? on, Cheryl. We need the Recipe Corner on yeah. Twitter. All right. There you go. At yeah, Recipe Corner. Do it 140 characters, though. <laughs> <laughs> E-A-T exclamation point. Yeah, Yeah, hashtag E-A-T. Yeah, there you go. go. I appreciate y'all very much and hope you have a a great rest of the summer. We'll get together again maybe toward the fall. Uh, I know that uh, Jeremy had talked to Russ about doing a a really deep Linux show, and that may be something that becomes a – may may show up on our new Workbench podcast because they're uh, they're ramping that thing up pretty heavy too. So I appreciate all three of you being here and look forward to chatting with you again really soon. Same here. Take care. Thanks, Cam. Thank you. So another fun episode on Ham Radio 360. Uh, It highlighted my ignorance. Stop. (laughs) It highlighted my lack of understanding regarding Linux. I mean, guys, it's something I really want. Yes, Gerald. Gerald, sit down. I know that you want me to learn Linux, and and so can your wife. Yeah, I know. I know. But I'm working on it, okay? (laughs) Give me a break. I've got a lot of friends who are big Linux folks, and they really – I didn't mean to say folks – friends who really enjoy using Linux – and uh, it's just one of those things that I, I just haven't taken the time to do it. The Raspberry Pis are kind of pushing me there. Uh, I've got a couple of machines here that it runs on, and man, does it make an old machine run like a new machine. So that's kind of why I wanted to bring those, those people on here. <laughs> I almost said folks again. I'm trying to stop saying folks. Thank you, Adam Curry. Uh, so anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have never listened to Linux in the Hamshack podcast, I want to encourage you to do that. Now, we don't normally have other podcasters on the show just because we're all out busy doing our things, but I know that there's so much going on in the hobby around Linux, around Raspberry Pis. I thought that this might help you guys. I know it helped me some understand why Linux was so important to what we're doing in the hobby. So make sure you check them out, Linux and Hamshack podcast, and I think you'll enjoy it. I never miss one. It's a lot of fun to listen to. I, I got to go, but I appreciate you all being here with me again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I sincerely appreciate all you're doing. Don't forget we have uh, patches now. We have stickers, hats, shirts. The shirts are on sale. So all that's under the shopping link. And, uh, of course, we want you to subscribe and share with your friends. Anyway, you know what to do. Go to the website. If you're looking for something to do, go to the website, hamradio360.com. We've got you covered, so don't miss it. Thank you so much for listening again. I'll be back in a week or so. Till then, Jeremy and George will come in the, the, in this next week with their uh, episode number three of the Workbench Podcast. Guys, appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. God bless every one of you. We'll see you next time. 73, y'all. 
Thank you for listening to Ham Radio 360, brought to you by mtcradio.com. For more information about the program, visit hamradio360.com. Till next time, 73s, y'all.